Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the official Sasta podcast brought to you by the main man Jason Lampkin and myself Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC. Now I'm super excited for today's show as I speak to a ton of founders and CEOs and when I ask them what's your biggest challenge do you know what they all say? One word hiring. Well, today's guest has one simple goal, make companies great at hiring. And I'm delighted to welcome Daniel Chait, founder and CEO at Greenhouse. Now, Greenhouse is software to optimise your entire recruiting process, allowing companies to find better candidates, conduct more focused interviews, and make really data-driven hiring decisions. And they've got backing from some of the true greats of VC in the form of Social Capital, Felicis Ventures, and Benchmark. And today's show can also be found Found on sasta.com where there's also the show notes from the episode today and if you want to have your input before shows go live with regards to questions for future guests then add me on snapchat at h stebbings that's h stebbings with two b's or tweet jason lemkin at jason lk he's not on snapchat yet but trust me i'm working on that one and we'd love to hear your thoughts and input however without further ado i'm delighted to welcome daniel chait founder and ceo at greenhouse Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Well, Daniel, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Great now, to be here. Now, I'd love to start with a quick founding story of you and how you came to be the founder at Greenhouse. Uh, what, what was kind of the origin story for you? Yeah, sure. So I started my career actually as a programmer. I have an undergraduate degree in uh, electrical engineering and computer science. Uh, so why is a guy with my technical pedigree in recruiting? Uh, so I started a consulting company focused on building software for big Wall Street banks. And as we started building systems, we realized that the appetite for great software on Wall Street was almost endless. The constraint on our business was supply. We needed to reliably get great people who could actually deliver on those projects in order to build the company. And if we couldn't do that, we were dead in the water. And if we could do that, we could basically get as much work as, 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 as we wanted. Uh, so I became a recruiter. And over the course of a decade, you know, I was the global head of uh, HR and talent acquisition at my company that I had founded. Really learned a lot of key lessons about how to develop a talent acquisition strategy that becomes a weapon for the business. So I've done that in my past, in my last company. And when I was looking at Greenhouse, you know, the realization I had was, you know, everybody kind of has that vision or that desire to have amazing people. And everybody kind of knows that you need great people in order to have a winning company. But at most companies, it's an absolute train wreck. At most companies, interviews are a disaster. Candidates think it's a nightmare. Hiring managers have no visibility of what's happening. Recruiters are frustrated and not getting what they need out of the business. Uh, things aren't working. And so my sort of insight and kind of drive behind creating Greenhouse was it shouldn't be that hard. If I was able to do it, and some you know leading organizations are doing it already, Everybody should be able to do it, and the software should help you get there. And before we dive into kind of how to do it the right way, I'd love to discuss what's going wrong at the moment. What are the current people and companies doing so wrong that's causing these hiring mistakes? Okay, so let's take it as a funnel, right? Just like any other aspect of a business. If you start at the top of the funnel, uh, where do companies typically find candidates and how do they go about doing that? They generally wander around like chickens with their heads cut off. Uh, most companies, if you ask them like, Hey, where do your candidates come from? They'll kind of give an answer. It's like, well, we hired this one recruiter and she likes to post ads on Craigslist and we hired this other guy and he's like a big LinkedIn jockey and we hired this third person and, you know, he goes to meetups and tries to find people and that's our strategy. 
It's all based on kind of folklore and, you know, the habits of people you happen to hire. There's no data. There's no evidence. There's no larger strategy. And so when that's the case, like stuff doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, you don't know what to change or what to do better. There's no measurement. There's no, there's no kind of systematic approach. Um, at companies that have it figured out, on the other hand, they have a clear idea of like, here are the eight different ways that you can find candidates. We apply resources to these key four ones. Here are the numbers we look at when they go up and down. And here's how we basically manage our top of funnel strategy to get the right candidates for the jobs we need. Once you move down the funnel into the interview process, it's even worse. So at most companies, they simply grab somebody whose job is being a programmer, being a salesperson in marketing, what have you, throw them in a room with a hapless candidate, no preparation, and say, should we hire this person? And you've got this poor employee whose job has to basically spend an hour out of their job trying to remember the next thing they're going to ask, and let alone trying to remember the candidate's answer. So they kind of waste everybody's time. They deliver a terrible candidate experience, and it leads to very slow and very poor quality decision making. So the solution to that is really called structured interviewing, and it's the idea that you should have a regularized process of interviewing where you've got a, a scorecard everyone's agreed on ahead of time. How are you going to evaluate candidates? What are you looking for? Key um, skills or values they need to have. And then who's going to ask various questions to get at those, those attributes? And you kind of organize that process up front. And then you just move candidates through your process following along the script that you've already agreed on. You treat everybody the same. You eliminate unconscious bias. You can compare apples to apples. means you can make smarter decisions and do it much faster. And it's all based on collecting evidence. And you said there about the thesis to have uh, to have a cohesive thesis going into the hiring process. So with this kind of, um, I don't know, you call it maybe a thesis or a mandate, whatever it is, how do you prevent it from being too vague of, you know, we want someone passionate and hardworking, which actually doesn't say very much. And then how, once you've defined it, do you actually test these values in an interview or a hiring process. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the two, the two actually go hand in hand. So the test for if, a, if a, an attribute that you're looking for is too vague is if you can't make an interview question for it that, that, that selects for that, right? Mm-hmm. So if I want to say somebody's a culture fit, how do, I, how do I interview for that? It's like, well, I don't know. Go chat with the guy see if he seems like a good guy. Like it's not really, it doesn't really work. Whereas if you can say like, okay, what are the aspects of culture fit that we care about? I want somebody that's collaborative or I want somebody that's, you know, hardworking or that's a problem solver. Those are things you can test for. You can write behavioral interview tests. You can give them exercises or panels, uh, case studies that identify these characteristics in people. And so the more clearly you can identify what you're looking for, uh, the, the easier it is to write accurate, you know, kind of interview questions or exercises to give people to, to, to generate the evidence you need to make the decision. And often what you find is like, it's so vague. It's like, oh, we want people that are like us. You end up basically just like chit-chatting about hobbies and, you know, ruling out people because of maybe the way they look or they didn't go to the right school. Um, and you actually do your company a huge disservice. And when it comes to technical interviews, you know, if you're hiring, uh, I don't know, a Java developer or a technical skilled uh, not you know, yeah. lots of skill, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, if you're hiring for that position, how do you then bridge the knowledge gap if you don't have the knowledge? Do you just leave it till last and then bring in an expert? What's your approach to this? So first of all, is anybody hiring Java developers anymore? Is that still a thing? <laughs> uh, you never know. <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll use Python as an example. Um, Let's so, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that's one of those, that's one of those areas where, you know, your, your, your team needs to be very clear about what they require versus what they prefer. And I think everybody understands that you would prefer, you know, this, this purple squirrel they call it or unicorn or whatever that has everything that's done it all before, et cetera. The truth is that most candidates have 
a mixture of capabilities and, and things that you're looking for. And I think the key is to focus more on the outcomes you're looking to achieve rather than on, you know, experience that they need to have. I'm always skeptical, you know, when somebody says, I need someone with five years experience. It's like, well, why? What is, what is it about having five years experience in your mind that's going to enable success in this job? And it turns out that often what people mean is that they're not going to have to spend too much time learning and that they're going to be very productive. And that's a very different question than do they have five years experience, right? Some people have 20 years experience and not solve for what you're looking for. Other people can have no experience. And so I'll give you a concrete example. When we made our first hire here at Greenhouse, we had started building this platform. We're using Ruby and Rails as our technology stack. And we identified the perfect candidate in every way, except one key thing was missing. He had never done Ruby before in his life. And so... <laughs> was he, he, was, was so, he doing Java? He was so... Exactly. He was, <laughs> he was so clearly the right person for us. We said, you know, people like great engineers learn programming languages. It's part of the job. And, you know, the, where the semicolons go and, and how you, you know, print a string, like that, that's just like stamp collecting. It's just a little bit of facts. The real guts of the job are a mindset and a, and a, and a, kind, of, a kind of thinking that is all the difference between success and failure. That first hire today is now our head of engineering and runs a 50-person team. It's fantastic. And, and you said about the background there, kind of experience and, and maybe working at top-tier firms. We often, there's kind of the hallowed, uh, you know, head of product or head of design at Facebook, Google, Pinterest, whatever you choose. Is that really certification for having, you know, a truly brilliant uh candidate i mean can we trust that alone surely do, what are your what's your take on this there's a saying i heard that uh, silicon valley is full of uh, mediocre people and extraordinary jobs <laughs> just because somebody got a job at a fancy sounding company don't assume that they're necessarily uh, any better than than anyone else that's kind of the first point i would make the second point i would make though is that people often underestimate the uh, importance of, of fit between the individual and the job and the team that they're going to be joining. And someone might truly be the best you know, engineering manager at Facebook, but still not be the right person for my engineering manager job because it's a different job. It needs different skills in order to succeed. And it, you have different resources at your disposal and you're solving different kinds of problems with different kinds of coworkers. It's much more important to focus on what do you actually need in order to be successful at this position and how do I find somebody that's, that's great at that? And I'll give you an, another example. When we hired our, uh, our, our VP of sales, I mean, I was running the sales team myself here at Greenhouse, and we clearly needed a leader that we could you know, continue to grow the team. And we interviewed, you know, 20, 25 different people, all with, you know, uh, head of sales jobs at, at, at SaaS companies that you heard of. And I ended up hiring a guy uh, who had been running a SaaS uh, sales team very successfully, but out of a company you never heard of. And his resume was pretty average looking. But as I started working our way through the interview process, and we were very clear what we were looking for, we started putting everybody through the same set of tests. Uh, Mark jumped off the page at us as someone so obviously better at the kinds of management and coaching capabilities that we needed that it was a very easy decision and one we made very confidently, uh, despite the fact that uh, you know he hadn't worked at Salesforce or you know whatever you know name brand. SaaS company, you know, you want. In fact, it was to the point where when we uh, told the board that we were making the hire, the first thing that, that one, one of the people said was like, hey, what, great, like what, what company is he coming out of? I actually didn't remember. So I don't know, some company. But like, what's the difference? You should see how this guy performed when we put him to the test. How, how did your board respond to that? Maybe we're, maybe we're lucky, but I think we have a, 
we have a lot of credibility with our board when it comes to hiring. And uh, maybe they were caught, maybe behind the scenes, they were, they were worried that I was off, out of my mind and hiring a, you know, the wrong guy. But, um, but I think the evidence was, was, uh, was pretty clear, you know, after we made the hire and sales jumped 30% in the quarter that we're doing the right thing. And I'm too intrigued that you said about Mark being, you know, the first hire as VP of sales. Uh, and, and so what stage did you decide that a VP of sales was necessary for you and for Greenhouse? And what was the catalyst for that? Yeah, so a lot of what we did as we grew up as a company uh, was following kind of this similar template of almost like from that lean startup uh, you know, methodology or, or idea that you kind of pivot from this learning and non-scaling mode into a growth and scaling mode. And you do that very intentionally once you know that it's the time to do that. And so for us with sales, for example, we had plenty of inbound leads and that allowed us to learn the sales process very deeply before we focused on scaling it. So I had, my, I had myself and I had uh, a few sales reps and we were, we'd solved a, f- a couple of problems. When it was just me, we solved the problem of like, do we have a thing people want? Do we know how to sell it to them? And like, do we have like a pricing system that works and a contract that works and all the rest of it? And then when I brought in sales reps, the question was, okay, the founder can sell it because he's got the compelling backstory and he's a very experienced salesperson. Now can I actually train moderately experienced inside sales rep how to sell it without having that background or experience themselves? So I did those two things on my own. And at that point, I had three sales reps and me. I was like, okay, this is working. The reps are closing lots of business. It's all happening. I can't manage more than the three myself. I need someone to actually come in and build the team. So at that point, we knew exactly the problem we needed to solve was I can't hire any more sales reps. I need a guy to come in and manage and coach and grow the team. And that was why it was so obvious to us that we needed somebody who brought that to the table uh, because we had already got the kind of sales formula figured out, but I had never really run a sales team before, to be honest. And so I didn't know what it would take to really coach and mentor and manage that type of team on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned there something that I always think is a very insurmountable challenge, and that is, for you know, founders are very unique and very special people with a vision. So how was the training process of your first inside sales reps? How did you go about instilling the same passion and tenacity in them that you had for your product? I mean, the first ones were easy. The, the hard part is the, is the, is the, you know, the 30th one. The first, so the first three I hired all at the same time. You know, I had actually read uh, Jason Lemkin's post where he said, uh, you know, you, you should hire two reps at a time instead of one uh, because that way you can, you know, play them off against each other and have a little bit of competition. And you can also have, you know, two data points to compare and understand who's doing, who's doing really well. Well, as it happened, late in our process, we had uh, three of them that we liked equally well, so we hired all three. Uh, so at that point I was drowning in leads and I basically had a, my own office because I was, I was, we'd filled up our, our little co-working space that we were in. So I'd rented like a temporary office. It was a 10 by 10 windowless room with a coffee pot and a bowl of, uh, salted almonds. And I was sitting there just like eight, 10 hours a day, just doing demos and closing business by myself in this windowless room. Uh, and so I brought these three guys in and now there was four of us in this, in this tiny little room. And they basically sat there watching me do demos for a week and a half, eight hours a day. Uh, and writing down notes to kind of memorize the same spiel over and over again. I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to give you some of the leads now. And it was off to the races. So that was easy. I mean, they were like drinking from a fire hose. The, to me, the hard part is, you know, when you look at our 30th sales rep that we're going to hire, you know, that person doesn't have that uh, environment to, to, to learn in. 
you know, they come in and leads come when they come and, you know, you're not given eight a day and, you know, you're not hearing me do the, do the pitch. You're hearing, you know, a sales manager, you know, you do the pitch with a deck that came out of product marketing. So it's evolved and, and we've got a lot more like structure around sales operations and training uh, now, which, which is in a lot of ways better and more professional than that. But it's not the same kind of searing trial by fire that the, that the early career gets. Um, so, you know, as you scale, you end up doing things that are like a lot more professional and we have, so we're rolling out a new product now, Greenhouse Onboarding, uh, through a company that we acquired last year called Parklet. Mm -hmm. And now we're actually formalizing our training process around our second product. So we actually have a certification layer where the reps go through a bunch of training, they each get certified to sell the new product, and then they can start taking demos and, and, and prospects to sell the new product. So it, it works. It's much more of a production environment than it was kind of a seat of the pants thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a lot more effort. And, and I'd love to dive into a, a quick fire round now called the 60 second Saster. Okay. <laughs> Sound good. I know it's a good name, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I like that one. Uh, so, so how do you go about debugging your own interview process? Well, you learn from your mistakes. And so when you make a hire that, that, that doesn't work out so well, I always try to do a retrospective on what did we look for? How did we assess the winning candidate against what we were looking for? And then when we decided this hire didn't work out, was it because we incorrectly assessed the person against our scorecard? Was it because our scorecard was wrong? Or was it because we hired the person and then the job turned out to be you know, different over time? And, and then in terms of candidate experience, how can you optimize candidate experience? So the first thing we do is you measure it. So we send a survey out automatically through our through the Greenhouse platform that surveys all of our candidates who make it through a certain stage in our process after they're done interviewing here. And we collect regular data about the candidate experience. Are they treated well? Uh, were we courteous? Do we think that the questions were fair? Were they easy and hard? So we look at all that, and then we try to understand how we can, how we can improve. We also look at the funnel metrics, the same as you would on the revenue side of the business. And what are the pass rates through various interviews? Are we putting people through tests that are too easy or too hard? Uh, and then lastly, we look at our glass door and I think we're very fortunate. Our glass door ratings are through the roof. Uh, but I always particularly look at what do the people say who don't get jobs here? And I think I'm very happy that when I look at our glass door, I see people who say, Hey, I interviewed at Greenhouse last week. The process was amazing. It was the best interview process I ever had. People were thorough. People were courteous. The questions all made sense. And, you know, I would love to try again and apply for a job next year. To me, that's the ultimate sign that you've done a great job. And then the personalization of the interviewer. Some candidates are just nervous and, and it can be an intimidating process. You've done a lot to kind of personalize the interviewer, haven't you? Yeah, well, you have to. I mean, you have to recognize that it's an artificial environment. You're not hiring somebody to come in and interview all day. <laughs> You're hiring somebody to do a job. And so you have to account for that and accommodate for that. We try to put candidates very much at ease. We try to, you know, we put them in a comfortable environment in a pleasant room with a glass of water and some snacks. We tell them ahead of time what we're going to do so there's no surprises. We make sure that we let them know, hey, here's what we're looking for. You know, so if we're giving you a coding test, if you put a semicolon in the wrong place, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to pass. People are always going to be nervous, you know, or, or, or you, you need to expect that in any event. But you try to do as much as you can to kind of accommodate them and make them feel comfortable ahead of time by letting them know who they're going to be with, what they're going to go through. And then just allowing for some of that nerves on the way, making sure that, you know, you give people a chance to ease into the interview process and, uh, and warm up to be their true self. And then, and then final quick fire question, your favorite hiring resource for you in terms of book, blog, blog post, podcast, what, what is it for you? Can I say greenhouse? <laughs> can I say the greenhouse blog or is that cheating? That's cheating. Uh, we, we can do the greenhouse blog, which, which can be mine. I mean, I think if you're serious about this stuff, you should read Work Rules by Laszlo Bach. 
Okay. Uh, it's kind of uncovering the systematization that they've done at, at Google. And there's lots of great lessons that apply to every company. Fantastic. And then we're going to finish on a more macro question. And it's not quick fire, don't worry. But a more macro question on the hiring and the recruitment process. And you've worked in the in the hiring segment with some of the world's largest companies now, particularly with Greenhouse. Um, and so I want to know what's the biggest learnings been from crafting the hiring processes of the likes of Airbnb and Evernote for you? It's so easy to get it right, and so many people get it wrong. My biggest learning is there's very few things that an enterprise can do to add more value in a more leveraged way than improving their their hiring process. If you look at the quality of talent that you are able to attract and bring in uh, as the number one driver of your company's success, I would argue that getting hiring right is, for many organizations, a billion-dollar question. And so it's not just a question of, hey, can we save a little bit of time uh, or can we, you know, can we make a hire, you know, $3,000 cheaper, you know, by not buying this or that tool. It's much more about, do you want your company to win? If you want your company to win, you have to get the best people. In order to get the best people, you have to make smarter decisions than everyone else and you have to do it faster. And if you do that, you'll create a winning company. And in many cases, like I said, it's, it's the difference between billion-dollar outcomes and, and, and going out of business. Who do you, it's, you know, it's, it's the difference between being Google and being Alta Vista, right? Absolutely. And who do you think does, does the hiring process the best at the moment? Who do you kind of look up to? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a tough question. You know who does hiring really well is the big management consulting firms. If you look at McKinsey, they hire many thousands of people every year, and each of those people... Uh, has to deliver a very high-end solution, right? You don't hire a McKinsey consultant to you know, sweep the front porch. So how do they reliably get people in year in and year out who can deliver on the McKinsey value proposition? It's because they have an extremely thoughtful and well-structured process for finding undergraduate and experienced hires and putting them through a systematic and kind of rigorous process that's in many ways like a high-quality manufacturing process. So that's the kind of template that I look to. And I say, there's no reason every company can't think of it the same way. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been absolutely fantastic to hear about Greenhouse, optimizing hiring, and I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks a ton. Great talk. Please hang up and try again. What a phenomenal deep dive into the hiring process that was from Daniel and some key takeaways to be had there on recruitment optimization. As I said, if you would like the chance to ask questions ahead of time before the interviews, then add me on Snapchat at H Stebbings with two B's or hit me or Jason up on Twitter at Jason LK and at Harry Stebbings. You can also find the show notes for today's episode on Sasta.com. That's S-A-A-S-T-R.com. Likewise, we are so grateful for all your support it really does mean a huge amount and we look very forward to bringing you our next episode on friday